Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm glad to see everybody here today. It's going to be a great day. Um, before we get moving on, I'd like to again thank our greeters for today, Marilyn Moore, Don Kakmar, and Janice Putz. Thank you. They were here so early, just for you, and they had umbrellas and everything, just for you. Uh, that's about it for announcements for me. Um, but what I wanted to tell you about was a, a psychological study that I was re recently reading about, about a concept called enclosed cognition. And because it's hard to enunciate, I put it on your outlines today, but the hallmark study that went along with this concept of enclosed cognition involved a team of researchers who brought in big groups of people and they had them take a test. And this test um, measured their ability to be attentive as well as their ability to stay focused in the midst of distraction. The other thing that the researchers used as part of this experiment were white lab coats. That's why this is up here today. And the reason that they use white lab coats is because, believe it or not, white lab coats are specifically associated with attentiveness and focus. So, researchers brought in the first group of people and had them take this test, and that was really about it. Well, then they brought in the second group of people to take the test, but this time, researchers also had each participant put on a white lab coat as they took the test. And the results were, you guys, crazy. The people who wore the white lab coats for the test scored significantly higher on the scale of the ability to focus in the face of distraction, sometimes even twice as much as the people who didn't wear the white lab coat. So studies like this would suggest that what we wear not only affects how we feel, we already knew that, but also what we wear can affect how we think we can actually think differently depending on what we're wearing. And because actions follow thoughts and beliefs, we'll also act differently. But this is another thing that I kind of already knew because as a mom of four boys, I can tell you that when they wore a superhero cape, they thought they could fly. <laughs> and they would act upon that thought. Um, and we see this with little girls too. When a little girl has on a special dress, what does she do? She twirls around. She truly thinks that she's a princess, and she cannot help but twirl around in joy. And, okay, is it just me, or do you not, as a grown woman also, when you have on something special, do you not have the urge to twirl around too? Yeah? Well, if not, I'm hoping that changes today. Well, in our homework this week, we read all of Colossians 3. And right in the middle at verse 12, we read, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as our Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Clothe yourselves. See, Paul knew that Colossae was a textile community, and they were famous for their dyed wool. So he used a, an example, an analogy, that would resonate with them. 
Now, the words clothe yourselves in the NIV is translated as put on in the ESV. And these are both translated from an original Greek word that has the implication of sinking into a garment, which makes me think of a cozy fall sweatshirt that just feels good and you just want to sink into it. But the word sink into also sort of bring to mind the idea of letting something sink into us, to sink in to our brains. So similar to how the white lab coats helped people think differently, clothing ourselves in these godly virtues helps us think differently too. And clothing ourselves in this way isn't just a suggestion from Paul, it's an imperative. We are to do this. So, of course, the question becomes, how? You know, when we see a list of qualities like this, we want to try harder to be like them. But again, if you're like me, on most days by 7 a.m., you've already blown patience because you've, you know, shook the coffee pot because it's going too slow. So simply trying harder to be a certain way is a form of behavior modification. And it's not bad in and of itself, um, but it can take a lot of effort because the motivation comes from the outside and it's focused on external behaviors. Modifying behavior isn't easily sustainable because the behavior doesn't come from the heart and the heart matters. So before Paul lists these traits which God clothes us in, he first starts by reminding us who we are at the heart. We are chosen. God chose to pull us out of our former way of living, and we aren't the same anymore. And we might not think of ourselves as holy, but with Christ, we are seen as holy by God because Christ cloaks us in his holiness. And how about the words, Dearly loved. Never doubt it. You are dearly loved. And doesn't it just make you want to twirl around to think of yourselves as dearly loved? And yet, it's hard to see ourselves this way because we know the icky things we've done in our past. We know the things that we still think about and do that are really contrary to what we, you know, should be doing. You know, we question whether we really are a new creation, and we hear a little voice telling us that we're going to fail again. In so many ways, we still think, feel, and act like the old self. And we wish we could act like the new self, but the old self just keeps showing up. And similarly, um, when we go there, the Holy Spirit says to us, no, I think he yells, no, you already are this way. These qualities already are you. My husband Mike and I have been married for 32 years, and what would it be like if I went around saying, I wish I could act like Mike's wife? You know, he could very rightly say to me, you are my wife, just act like it. So again, similarly, God declares who you are, and he's provided you a wardrobe, all of us, a wardrobe of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, thankfulness, peace, and love. Wear it. Or like a fashionista might say, own it. You are these things. Choose to believe it. And just like clothing yourselves has the implication of sinking into a garment, we need to sink into this wardrobe that God has already clothed us with. And every day, we can remind ourselves who we are and what God has already clothed us in. And the Holy Spirit helps us with this. You know, if you look at the qualities that we're to be clothed in, they look very similar to the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character 
of Christ. This is the fruit that the, the Holy Spirit grows in us as we walk by the Spirit, which means we allow him to have his, oh, what's the word, influence over us uh, in our daily practical living. And the more we listen to him, the more we become really good at listening to him. So God clothes us in the pure white coat of the new life that we have in Jesus. And it's like the Holy Spirit adds color to that coat. It's the color of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And those colors are always perfect on each one of us. So we're to wear the wardrobe God has already given us, but we usually don't put on clean clothes on top of dirty ones. We take the dirty ones off first and we start fresh. And spiritually speaking, we should put off some things in our lives that are contrary to Christ's character. And Paul helps us by giving us a list of what these dirty clothes might include. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire or lust, and covetousness or greed, which is idolatry. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Paul says to put these to death or to put them away. And these phrases always remind me of the old Kenny Rogers song, the gambler song, that says know when to walk away and know when to run. Because, you know, there are some sins that we can resolutely walk away from, but there are other sins we just need to run from. But the thing is, we have to know, we have to be prayerfully attentive to those things in our lives that we need to get rid of. So Paul starts with a list of sins that are easily identifiable, like sexual sins. And we might be, start, we might be tempted to start thinking, wow, this doesn't pertain to me. But just about the time we start feeling pretty proud of ourselves, Paul starts listing attitudes of the heart. And attitudes are like dirty underclothes that aren't as immediately uh, visible on the outside. But sins of the heart are incredibly damaging because outward sins always begin with an attitude of the heart. And generally what happens is we start making one poor decision after another. They might start small, but they start to snowball until all of a sudden we don't even know how we got into the mess we're in. The list of sins that Paul writes here isn't directed at society in general. It's directed at us, at Christians. It's saying that we should be different, that we might have lived this way in the past, but none of these things has a place in our Christian lives anymore because we have a new life. These earthly, earthly things might have been familiar to us at one time, but now we're a new self, we're new. So think of a woman in a movie who has been rescued out of a dangerous situation. And she's so thankful and happy about it. She's, she's given everything new, a new life. But then in the next scene, we see her digging out an old phone that she stashed away, or old letters, and she starts reading the humiliating and threatening things that used to happen in her life. Or she looks at pictures of her old life, and she starts to feel like she's still in it. And sometimes she might even be tempted to go back to it because as awful as it was, it's familiar to her. And we as the audience are saying, no, don't go back there. That life is over. You're all new now. Don't let that happen. And it's kind of similar for us because we all face some, some temptations in our lives. But 1 Corinthians tells us that God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He promises us a way out of temptation. 
Isn't that good to know? It's, it's really good to remind ourselves of this. And I think it just gets better because not only are we provided a way out of temptation, but God also promises us that sin no longer has control over us in the first place. In Colossians 3, 1 through 3, we read, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your old self, your sinful self, has died, and sin no longer has mastery over you. Before we were in Christ, we were powerless to stop sinning, but now we have the power. So if there's sin in our lives, we're the ones throwing it a lifeline. We need to put to death the sins that we once wore. And what we think about matters. So in Romans 12, 2, we're reminded to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And like I told my group, I like to think of that as re-wallpapering our minds. And very similarly, Paul tells us to set our minds on things that are above. So what does it look like to set our minds on things above? Do we just sit around thinking about heaven all day? Well, often when we talk about the gospel, we sort of focus on um, how the gospel and accepting Christ means that we'll go to heaven someday when we die. Um, but it's important for sure to know where we're going. But our, once we accept Christ, our eternity is secure. And the better question than do you know where you're going when you die really is how are you going to live until you do? Jesus declared that the kingdom of God was now accessible through him. He didn't just mean heaven when we die. He meant right now. And when we become a Christian, we have an extra dimension to life. We believe in something the rest of the world can't see. We can see God at work around us, and we notice his activities in circumstances and in people. This is the kingdom of God. This is the, these are the things above. This is the place where God's will is done, like Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer. Now, these things above are also things inside of us, too, because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And just like a little girl who twirls around in joy because she thinks she's a princess, we too are more than we seem. In God's eyes, you are like a twirling princess, and God is the ultimate hero who sees you and pursues you and rescues you. This is the sacred romance, and you are the beloved. <laughs> Doesn't it just make you want to twirl? Yeah? Well, also in Colossians, on verse 4, Paul writes, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, you're forever secure, hidden and protected by God, and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. You are loved beyond your wildest imagination, and you are worth dying for. And one day, everything that's unseen in you right now will be revealed in gloriousness along with Christ's glory. Our new self is being continuously renewed, and we start to see the world and circumstances and ourselves differently too. In other words, we start to think the thoughts that Jesus has. But it's easy to walk away from a teaching like this pretty much unchanged. So Paul tells us, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what our study is all about, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly to shape us. As we preach the truth to ourselves, we can remember to not listen to what the world has to say about us. And worship is also a way that we preach truth, not just to ourselves, but also to each other. And this is important because relationships are really important in the kingdom of God. We're doing our truth-filled study in community with other believers, in relationships that are focused on God and on God's bigger picture. And community is a wonderful thing, but I'm not sure if you've noticed, but sometimes relationships can be hard. Um, in fact, Henry Nouwen wrote <laughs> that community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Relationships aren't always easy, but the way that we treat each other in Christian community should stand out to the world. Jesus tells us in John 13, as I have loved you, so you are to love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Paul describes to us what a Christ-centered community should look like when we love like Christ loves. We're to live out the virtues that God has clothed us in. And Paul details it further for us um, by starting in verse 9. He says, do not lie to one another. Oh, I'm totally off. Where's Steve when you need him? Did I already say this one? There we go. There we go. Oh, no, I've already done that one. Gee, I'm sorry, you guys. Oh, no. Gee, I'm ruining it all. What's that have to do with anything? Okay, I'll just read it to you. Um, Paul says, don't lie to one another. Seeing that, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there was not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. And then in verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There it is. Well, things like lying that might have characterized us in the past have no place in our lives anymore. And even when it comes to lying, just imagine what it would be like if you could trust everything that someone else says to you. And I mean about things much more important than when the sales clerk told me that those pants really don't make my butt look big. <laughs> you know, in Christ, we're equal brothers and sisters, and there really should be no preferential treatment um, because of someone's income or age or any of the other things that the world tries to tell us are important. And we're to forgive each other just as Christ forgave us when we didn't deserve it and we, when we could never pay him back. And all of these virtues that we're talking about really do tie together. I mean, think about it. When you realize how far you are from God's perfection and that he forgave you anyway, how could you help but be thankful? And when we're thankful, we love much. Remember in the Gospel of Luke where there was a very sinful woman who wa washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. Um, and Jesus said, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. 
When we love much, we can't help but treat each other in a way that's reflective of the Christ-like wardrobe that God has already put on us. So at the end of Colossians 3, Paul goes on to describe specific relationships and how they should look in a Christian household or in the workplace. And you know, really the bottom line really is that we're to love each other. We're not to be harsh with each other or impose our wills on each other. We're to choose to obey those in authority as though we were, were obeying God. And when we're the ones in authority, we're not to be harsh or unfair. And we're supposed to remember that God really is the ultimate authority. And I think verse 17 in Colossians really sums up so well how our new lives should look. And it says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're to glorify God with our words and our actions, and really to do everything and treat everyone the way that Jesus would. But we all know how busy our lives can get, and distractions take our focus away from God. We sometimes forget that Jesus is right there with us. And this always reminds me of, of my son who played basketball in college. And there was a time in his career when he was the number one free throw shooter in the country. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he had made more free throws than anybody in the NBA or in any other college team. So if you have ever watched a basketball game, this isn't him. I wish I could have found a picture of him. But you know that when there's a player at the free throw line, it's distracting. And schools even have studies on just what distractions are the most distracting, and they employ those. Um, but there are also distractions that we might not notice unless we've played or unless somebody tells us. A lot of times you might notice if when somebody's up at the free throw line, all of a sudden the opposing team calls a timeout. And this wrecks their focus. It's called icing the player. Um, and some other things happen, too, when the player's at the free throw line. The opposing team will very often whisper really yucky things to them. You know, you're going to miss, or everybody's going to hate you, and your coach is going to be so disappointed. You're going to lose the game for everybody. So I asked my son, because he would stand at the free throw line as a complete picture of calm, <laughs> and there's stuff going on and whatnot. And I said, how do you do it? How do you stay calm in the midst of those circumstances? <laughs> and he told me he just fixes his eyes on the rim and tunes out everything else. Well, Hebrews 12, too, reminds us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. During the agony on the cross, Jesus stayed focused on things above, on the bigger picture that the joy of his sacrifice would bring. And in our lives, we'll have distractions, things that take our attention away from God and whispers that tell us that we're going to fail again. There may even be times when we feel iced as we wait on God's answer. But Jesus says, don't focus on those other things. Focus on me. So put to death the things of the old self. Let the truths we're learning dwell in you. Set your minds on things above. And every day, remember that God has already outfitted you in his own white coat that helps you think differently. It's our job to believe it, to wear it, to own it, 
and every, <laughs> every now and then twirl around in it. Thank you.